You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Hello, everybody. This is Inside the Man Box. I am Rick Fry. We're brought to you by Oneness Ministries, grace-based, hope-filled, spirit-led counseling and life coaching. To learn more about us, go to our website at oneness-ministries.org. Also, Marshall Fence, the premier residential and commercial fence company in Oklahoma City metro area. Contact them at 405-691-1191 or just drop by and see them at 9513 South Shields in Oklahoma City. I'm very excited. I have kind of a new boss. I've been asked to volunteer at the Hope Center. Did I get it all there? Gary Gary Grace is the director of counseling. Is that correct? That's correct. Somewhat. That's that's a way to put it. It's okay. actually uh, the recovery coordinator. Recovery so, yeah. coordinator. Okay, that yeah. sounds a lot more important. Yeah. yeah. And the, it, it is the Hope Center. It is, is yes, sir. It's a Hope Center Ministries. Okay. Uh, we've been around since '07, so 2007. We've been around for years, and uh, we originated in Tennessee. And since then, over the last uh, however many years that is, since '07, we've been uh, we've been expanding internationally. And, really, uh, yeah. I didn't know internationally. Yes, sir. Yeah, we have uh, two in the United Kingdom, and we have 20 here in the United States, and so we've got a total of 22 Hope Centers, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, so we've been around for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved? Um, yeah, yeah. So As little or as much detail as you yeah. want. So everybody's favorite topic is themselves. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you asked me about my favorite topic. Yeah. I, I'm just kidding. Uh, a little bit about myself. I'm 39 years old. Uh, I'm, I'm a father of three. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Boys, girls? I got, both? I got two boys and one girl. Girl's oh the God. oldest and uh, the biggest handful. Yeah, but uh, I love my kids. Um, I've been happily married for nine years. Nice. And uh, so, you know, really uh, how I got my start uh, in in ministry was five years ago, specifically with Hope Center. Uh, It had originated in Tennessee. And uh, at the time, it had been around about seven years, and they wanted to expand and uh, and go to the east, north, west, and south. Mm -hmm. And... At the time, I lived in North Texas. I had some rental properties. I was in the in the drilling business and uh, got talked into that little thing, and uh, <laughs> that became a big thing. But uh, you know, I was connected to ministry. I've always had a heart for people who are hurting and going through uh, addiction, uh, substance abuse, and things like that. And uh, I have a history in that. We can talk about that in a minute. Sure. <clears throat> but um, I. Uh, I got connected with a church there in Wichita Falls that wanted to start a Hope Center and was connected to the one in Tennessee. And they asked me one day if I if I would help start one in North Texas through one of my rent houses. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't have to pull my, heart, my arm very hard. Uh, it wasn't something they had to coerce me into. It was uh, it was very easy. I prayed about it for about one minute, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and I opened it's up. You don't rush into that's things. right. Yeah. <laughs> to be truthful with you, I'd been praying about something like that for years, and it was just the door that creaked open, and I just went ahead and kicked it open, and and uh, and so we started five years ago in North Texas, and since then we opened up two more 
uh, one in Wichita Falls, one in Holiday, and one in Vernon, total of three there. Mm -hmm. And here recently, in October of 2020, uh, God had uh, given us an opportunity to open up one in Oklahoma City. And hence, that's why I'm in in the office with you today. And uh, also, why you called me your boss, uh, (laughs) I twisted your arm over over lunch that i had to day. pay for by yeah, the way yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still paying dividends for it but uh you know we opened up in october of 2020 we've been open for the last few months and it's really been a it's really been a blessing to be a part of that so we're growing exponentially you know covid has shut a lot of things down and uh the only thing that it hasn't been able to shut down is the drug and alcohol epidemic and uh Actually, well, it's probably promoted. It's it. probably promoted it, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. And so there's still a high demand for, for lives to be changed mm-hmm. and families to be restored, communities. Uh, and so we're we're trying our best to minister to that. And so there's a lot going on there, Rick. And that's kind of the short story yeah. Uh, yeah. of a very long story. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you... Pastored a church in Wichita Falls. Yeah, that's a whole nother story. Let's tell. Let's talk about. You still do that, <laughs> from what I understand. You, yeah, you so live in Yukon. I, I live in Yukon, uh, but I pastor a church two hours and fourteen minutes away from my house. Oh my gosh, uh, it's in North Texas still. So when God called me to Oklahoma City to to uh, to expand Hope Centers, he he still had never called me out of the ministry to the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a sense of obligation there. I love to preach the gospel. Um, and, uh, and so I, I started pastoring about four and a half years ago in holiday, Texas, about mm-hmm. 15 minutes from Wichita Falls. So, um, started North, north of Wichita. it's, uh, it's West. West. Yeah. Okay. And so I started, I started doing that four and a half years ago. I'm, innately an introvert so the idea of me getting up and preaching is just uh, a god thing Mm -hmm. to say the very least but every time i I preach the gospel you know um it pulls on my heartstrings it it does it 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 does something inside of me re-energizes me Mm -hmm. and so i've been doing that i got a new definition for humility the other day um is that you're doing something that you wouldn't choose yourself for ah yeah God had to choose you to do that. That's right. That's right. He takes the foolish things of the world to shame the wisdom of the world. And uh, he's the God of the impossible. Because if he wasn't, I wouldn't be sitting here. And nor would would you. So he has uh, graciously pulled us out of stuff that we needed to be pulled out of. That I couldn't pull myself out of. So it's awesome. Um. How many guys do you house typically in one of your hope centers? Well, just in a, in a specific campus, uh, it's anywhere from 25 to 30 guys. Uh, we try not to house any more than that. We want to keep a family atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get beyond that number in a specific location, you start losing sight of certain individuals sometimes. And, and so it's, uh, it's usually about 30 guys. Mm-hmm. Short answer. Okay. And, do, do, how how are you staffed? Yeah, so uh, each hope center is staffed the same way. There's a model and a system. You have a you have a regional director that's over the region. Mm-hmm. Then you have a campus director 
that's over the specific campus, the day-to-day operations of it, um, just giving oversight to it. And uh, then beneath him, you have a recovery coordinator. That would be the person who's over discipleship, the counseling individually, both individually and group counseling, Mm -hmm. those aspects of it, overseeing Bible studies outside uh, opportunities and platforms for ministry, such as celebrate recovery programs, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you have a night monitor who who sleeps there, who monitors the nighttime just for oversight reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And then always we're raising up within the program internships and apprenticeships as well. And so, uh, that's, that's how it's done. One of the guys I've been talking to actually yesterday told me that he had to get up at three o'clock in the morning to start breakfast. Yes. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. So what he, kind of a commitment is that? Yeah, that's a high commitment. Yeah. And I tell you what, he's an important fellow too. Yeah. The mills go wrong. It goes bad. Now. <laughs> but, uh, no, I love him, and uh, I know who you're referring to. Yeah. So he would be our chef, and uh, and he does. He gets up at 3 a.m. Does he do it every day? He does it just about every day. We try to give him a Saturday break, you yeah. know, and order out, things like that. But something that he enjoys and uh, gives him purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so so while the other men may go out and for, for vocational training, things like that, he stays back and, and cooks uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Vocational training, how do you, how is that established? Yeah, so we're, we're a ministry that believes in not giving a handout, but a hand up. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I mean by that is so, so many programs, and by the way, I would never want to down another program and treatment. So we're all in this together. Absolutely. But uh, so when I say this, I, I say this not to really throw any other program underneath the bus, but one of the things we have strong convictions in is when somebody comes into our program, they come in with nothing. And, and typically they've lost everything. Uh, marriages, children, uh, legal issues that, that tower over the ceiling. Um, they, they come in broken, shattered to pieces. And, and so one of, one of our strong convictions since we started was making sure that by the time they leave, whether it's a year or eight months later, that they have job placement, that they've been going through training, and uh, that they have an opportunity when they graduate and get handed that certificate, that they have a vocation, a way that they can provide for their families, provide for themselves, and and ultimately give back to society and and, uh, the community in which they live. So when they enter into the second phase, they enter into vocational training, and it's there they'll work side by side with a, a manager in a place of employment, and they'll begin to be trained on on permanent job placement. Okay, you mentioned you mentioned mentioned fa- second phase. Tell us about the program. I think there's three phases. Sure. Yeah. And tell us about how that works. Yeah. So uh, the the program's one year long. It's twelve months. And, um, so you're looking at the first phase, it's six weeks long, it's intensive classroom settings, um, Bible studies in the morning. Um, they might for vocational training, if you're in the first phase, they might go clean a church, things like that from 8 a.m. to noon, um, from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. They, they enter into individual counseling sessions. That's where I brought you in Rick to, mm-hmm. to help disciple men there. And uh, then they have group sessions as well. That's both facilitated by uh, a certified 
uh, counselor such as myself, or they also have groups where they learn from their peers. And so they have peer led groups. So there's a combination of things that go in there in the first phase. Um, then they, they attend celebrate recoveries, things like that in the community. Uh, after six weeks, they move into what we call the second phase and it's there that they enter into vocational training, uh, not compartmentalized from the rest of it, but attached to it. Okay. And, and so the reason is that, that lasts 38 weeks. And the reason is, is we're, we're teaching them how to balance life, how to handle life on life's terms, the busyness of life. I'd say one of the greatest challenges, even for me as a 15 year old Christian, uh, a pastor of a church two and a half hours away, uh, a recovery coordinator at a hope center with 30 men, a father of three kids, a husband of one wife. Uh, it, it is a, it is a challenge for me as a seasoned Christian man to be able to balance all that. Yeah. And, wow. and so the second phase is designed specifically for a little bit of pressure and, and to be able to learn this juggling act and make things that are priority, priority. I heard a long time ago, somebody said, managers try to do everything right. Leaders do the right things. Mm, that's really well said. <laughs> and so uh, to be a leader over your family, a leader in ministry, a leader in society, uh, just a leader in, in Christianity we have to focus on the right things, not trying to do everything right. And, and when you can focus on what's a priority, then you can, can become really, really productive, effective, and successful in life. So that second phase is designed to teach them to focus on priority, put God number one, ultimately on how to, uh, how to go to work every day and, and, and really be able to be successful. The third phase is, is uh, an eight-week period. And it's there where they're given a lot more liberty and freedom. Uh, there they'll go to the permanent job placement. They will, uh, they'll begin to, to make money and be able to pay back child support, be able to pay legal things, and be able to pay probation fees. Uh, and there we're teaching them responsibilities to, to really correct the wrongs mm -hmm. that they have uh, in, their, in their past. Yeah. That way that stuff doesn't bog them down in the transition. So, well, that sounds very responsibly done. Um, you mentioned Bible studies in this first in the first phase. Um, how many of the guys who come into your into the facility are believers? Yeah, so that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> what do uh, they believe in? <laughs> yeah. So you, you get a. It's not cookie cutter. It's uh it really isn't, and you can't hit the same nail, every nail with the same hammer. Uh, people come with different backgrounds. Some are atheists, some are agnostic. Uh, some come from Church of Christ, some are Pentecostals. Uh, some are riding the shirt tail of Grandma and Papa in their faith. And uh, and then some are, are, are outright believers and just made a wrong decision. They need help. And, um, and so... Immediately when they come in, we just meet people where they are. Good. And, uh, you know, I've had people who are just stark unbelievers, and I just meet them where they are. I share uh, Jesus with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, 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 here's a, as a man of God and as a student of God's word, here's what I believe with all my heart. And, 
I think Jesus said it. He said some, some plant, I think it was actually Paul that said it, but some plant, some, some water, but God gives the increase. And so I don't take the, the burden of making somebody believe the way that I believe. All I do is plant the seed right. and uh, I water it the very best I can, but I trust God to grow it. So, Wow. I wish, I probably should say, I pray that a lot of pastors would accept that approach and not have um, expectations for new members to be where they are. Because then it becomes a matter of comparison. And I've been in churches where, gosh, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that guy up there. And God never intended for me to be like that guy. And what you're saying is that your expectations are that you represent who Christ is. Yeah, sure. That is absolutely correct, yeah. Yep, I love that. I love that. Um, what kind of... Uh, uh, what kind of the the word that comes to my mind is fallout. What kind of what? How many guys make it? That's another loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't I don't necessarily base success always, and I might be shooting myself in the foot here and have to eat crow later. It but tastes like chicken. I know. <laughs> you know, I don't always base success on. Um, getting a piece of paper and certificate walking across the stage. I think completion's important to God. Sure. I do. Um, but I, I, I've seen men come through the program, stay six months and, uh, and then leave for reasons that, uh, out of their control, they leave for godly reasons. You know, maybe uh, a wife needs them or a child's going through health problems or, uh, things like that. I've, I've watched this happen in 2020. I've actually learned something through mm-hmm. COVID, you know, and so I, I see men and women successful that have uh, gone all the way through the program. And I've seen some that haven't. I, I think the success rate is determined on uh, their humility going through it, uh, what they learn, how fast they learn, um, you know, and uh, the motives behind what they're doing. Um, the success rate as far as retention, departure, that's a different question. You know, it's somewhere right around 50 to 60% for those who actually graduate. And uh, the reason I say for those who actually graduate, we, we don't have a way of keeping track of those who don't. Yeah. But those who do go through the program and they graduate, um, that's a success rate. Um, that actually seems high to me. It is. It is. Yeah. It, it is. Uh, we want to do better. Yeah. You know, we're not satisfied with just winning a few POWs. Have, have you ever heard of Desmond Doss? Yes, I have. Yeah. 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 So uh, you may not know the story, but for our listeners, I'll, I'll tell a brief story about him, please. He was, uh, he was the guy that had strong convictions and I think it was World War II. And uh, he was a Christian man that refused to carry a rifle. Yep. And so he entered in as a medic and, uh, he was fighting a battle, one of the most horrific battles in, in the war, bloody battle. And there was a cliff 
that you had to crawl up in order to get to the, the battlefield. And uh, they were taking artillery shell, everything. There's blood all over the place. And <clears throat> he, uh, he saw an opportunity to save somebody and carry them out of the war zone and tie a rope around them and lower them down the cliff. And then he would go back and get another man. As, as all the men in the battle were running away from the bullets, he was running to them. And I think he was awarded a, a, a medal. And, uh, and a journalist asked him a question. After the war, he survived. He saved like 75-some-odd men. Some say that was actually uh, not the real count. He saved over 100. Mm-hmm. They asked him a question. They said, what were you thinking? And he said, I just kept thinking, just one more, Lord, just one more. And, you know, I, I go to work every day, strap on my boots and put my pant legs on one at a time. And I think the same thing. You know, I lose some. I do. I preach funerals. Guys walk out and um, they OD on heroin. And I'm literally preaching their funerals from time to time. There are prisoners of war out there to addiction. But I keep thinking every morning, just one more, Lord. Yeah, that's awesome. And 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 so it isn't the numbers that discourage me. It isn't the numbers that encourage me. It's just can I save one more, Rick? Yeah. Can I be a part of somebody's life being changed? Can I get a mom and dad reunited with their with their kids? Can we break a generational curse? Um, that that's the goal every day. I'm speechless. Um, that's that's beyond amazing um who started who started this program well <clears throat> he wouldn't mind me saying this so before i tell you who started it let me tell you who really started it okay <laughs> god almighty started this program there you go and the reason i know that is because it wouldn't last if it wasn't started by god right uh, but the real answer to your question is a fella named Josh Hanna, who's a good friend of mine. And, uh, and he's the one that told me that he said, I didn't start this Gary. God started this one day when he spoke to me on the side of a road. And, uh, so Josh Hanna was a pastor of a church in Waverly, Tennessee, and, uh, had been doing ministry for years. And he had a friend that got shot, I think by one bullet. He was an addict, and uh, it went in and out of him five times. Excuse me. And so he tells the story of visiting his friend in the hospital. His mom had called him said, hey, will you talk to my son? And he goes up, and he, he shares uh, this story often. When he was visiting with him, he, he left there crying and sobbing. thought, what can I do, Lord? How can I help? How can I help my friends that are in the grip of addiction? And it wasn't just this friend, but it was so many others that he knew um, that struggled with drug and alcohol addiction in his hometown. And there on the side of a road, he's weeping and crying and crying out to God. And, you know, he didn't say God spoke to him audibly, but you know how sometimes you just feel in your heart of hearts, you just have a moment with God. And, and it was in that moment you know, God told him, he said, I want, I want you to start drug and alcohol treatment centers. And he didn't know what that looked like at the time. He just knew God said. And so 
a couple years would rock along and make a long story short, everything would fall in place. He'd be put in front of the right people uh, that would finance it, that would help him start his very hope, very first Hope Center on a hilltop in Waverly, Tennessee in 2007. And so that's, that's who started it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the 30,000-foot view, though, uh, is God started it. Sure. Yeah. How do you... Well, these questions feel kind of random, but um, okay. Yeah. How do you, how are you supported? How do you guys, do these guys have to pay to be here? How, how, how how do you keep it floating? Sure. Because it's got to be expensive. Yeah. Well, we are a nonprofit. So, um, you know, uh, all the money goes back into the entity itself. But there's a, there's a variety of ways that we're supported. Uh, One way is, through the community, charitable contributions, monthly pledges. Um, people just see that lives are changed and they, they want to give. Uh, I, I just, I see it all the time. And um, so we, we put fundraisers out there as another way. So not only do we have people who give charitably monthly on a monthly basis, but we also do two main fundraisers a year per campus. And that's a gala dinner and uh, where we'll do auction items and things of that nature, create awareness for the community that we're in, but also to raise money. Uh, we'll put on golf tournaments, fish bass tournaments, things like that. Uh, we have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. And so those are two ways. Another way is, is we file for grants. Um, and so we get grant money uh, as well. And then the program's not free for the individuals that are coming into it we realize that a lot of them don't have money to come in. Um, they actually owe money to a lot of folks usually is the case. (laughs) But, uh, and so what we do is we put money into a general fund called hope for recovery and, uh, it pays their initial intake, uh, part of it. And then once they enter into vocational training, that helps pay for their bed. And so, that sustains it in that avenue. So those are some different variety of ways that. If uh, somebody wanted to contribute, if somebody wanted to become um, a monthly supporter, how would they contact you? Yeah. I promise you guys, I didn't twist his arm to ask that. <laughs> Thank you for asking, He did Rick. not twist my <laughs> because he's competing with me, so. <laughs> yeah. So it's. No, pretty, but it, this is good. It's this. pretty simple. Uh, our website is hopecm.com. Uh, you can go on there and it'll say give hope yeah. and you can give that way. Awesome. Yeah. Oh gosh, this is fantastic. Um, I get to come and be involved. Um, I'm a certified counselor and if you've listened to the program, you know that I do. And gosh, how important is it for you to um, attract volunteers and how would you, if somebody wanted to volunteer, how could they contact you? Yeah, so I'm a preacher by nature, so just tell me to be quiet if you want me to. But so, I think it was John Maxwell said, if the job's too big, the team's too small. Mm. And I, I've, I've taken that with me and just ran with it. I think that when Jesus was spending three and a half years with his disciples, and he was growing them and training them. Even when he sent the 70 out two by two, he was basically giving them 
uh, a little foreshadow of what he was going to ultimately give them. And he was going to pass them the baton. Mm -hmm. Uh, Literally, after he rose from the grave, he sat on top of a hill talking to his closest friends. And he said, I'm about to go be at the right hand of the Father. In other words, I peace out, deuces, (laughs) I'm out of here. And and I think it dawned on him for the first time in that moment when he said, here's what I want you to do. All authority has been given to you, to me. And what I want you to do is I want you to go do what I did. I, uh, I slept on the cold ground with you. I ate around a campfire with you. I showed you everything you need to know in order to make disciples. What I want you to do is go make disciples. So the job of, of disciple maker, counselor, coach, whatever you want to call it, it's not the job of just the men who hold the title. It's the job of all those who follow one man. His name's Jesus. And he handed us the baton. And I don't think, I don't think that's a job that's small. I think that's a job too big for one man to do. And, and so if that is my job, rec- coordinate recovery in the lives of 30 men. If Jesus only had 12, Gary can't handle 30 by himself. And, and so it's been, it's been my honor to um, create a coalition of people such as yourself, Rick, who come alongside us in the endeavor of changing them, these men's lives. And, uh, and so that's how important it is to gain volunteers, to, to grow these men up, and to teach them what it is to be men of God and, and really to be successful in life in every arena of life. Not, not just stay sober. That's not the goal. My goal is not sobriety. My goal is to see these men know God, and a byproduct of that is sobriety. And so I know that if I can place men in their lives who will walk them through this journey, then that's the best chance for them to succeed. I would only add one more component to what you just said, that I am powerless um, without Holy Spirit. And in a, as a counselor, um, I sit across from a guy and sometimes I go, I have no idea what I'm going to say to this man. I don't. He's talking and talking and telling me all of this stuff. And I go, I got nothing. Right. Now, I don't say that to him. It's, you know, the conversation is in my head. Absolutely. And then I just start hearing questions. I just start hearing, tell him this. And that's where counseling comes for me is that it's Holy Spirit driven because I can't do it. I can't manufacture wisdom. Sure. Um, so all of what you just said are men who are, are, who are driven to you. I, I, it wasn't an accident that you and I met. I think this was Holy Spirit driven. And so I add that component to what you just said sure. that listen to God's spirit who indwells you. And hopefully some of you will be led to come work with these guys who are desperate yeah. for hope. Yeah. The, the scripture says that he is the counselor. Yes. And that in those moments, he'll, you don't have to worry about what to say. Yep. He'll give you the words to say and context of that is the persecution, but it can be applied in the principle of it in every situation. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And he said also, I have to go away so the counselor can come. That's right. So yeah. the teacher can come. That's it. And they had, of course, no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Took me a long time to figure it out, too. But I think I'm getting it, finally. Oh, gosh. Um, what? Uh, this is a, kind of a... I want to get personal. Let's get personal. Yeah. How did you meet your wife? Oh, well. Um no, it was on a blind date. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was on a blind date. Um, I had a friend that felt sorry for me. <laughs> and I'm serious. Was that the first guy that felt sorry for you? It, well, it was, a, it was a, a husband and wife that I was friends with their family. And yeah. they just said, hey, would you would you be willing to go on a blind date? We know a girl and she's a, she's a godly woman. And, you know, and at the time I was, I was afraid of messing anything up in life. I was about a two year old Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, uh, gotten out of prison. Sounds weird, huh? Sounds like the beginning of a country song. Yeah. <laughs> I drove my pickup. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I had gotten out of prison. I'd done a lot of wrong things in my life. I have a history of drug and alcohol abuse. And so I, I, uh, I messed up a lot for about 10 years. I started, uh, using drugs when I was 17. And, uh, I spent about nine years in and out of prison and just making a lot of wrong mistakes. And before I went the second time, I cried out to God to save me on my grandmother's porch. I I really didn't even know if there was a God that existed, but I I knew that I was sick and needed to be saved. And so I cried out to him. It was one of those moments when you look around, you make sure nobody saw what you were doing. (laughs) So I, uh, I was sobbing and crying, looking around and I thought, what am I doing? But at the same time, it was just so sincere and authentic. I said, Lord, I, I need you to save me. I don't know if you hear me. I don't know if, uh, if you're there, but please save me. Two days later, he throws me in prison. And, uh, I realized that was God and he knew I couldn't quit on my own. So he put me in a safe environment where I could. And it was then I began to study God's word and I began to pray. I began to pray for godly friends. Um, I began to pray for a godly wife. Uh, I, I wanted something different. And uh, it's funny, when I was locked up, ironically, it was the most free I'd ever felt at that point in my life. Interesting. And that's a paradox, but <clears throat> I prayed and I prayed for God to, to put godly people in my life. And over the course of two years getting out and being, being a Christian, uh, I'd been at home and I'd stayed single because I, I didn't want to mess that up. And so finally somebody introduced me to what would be my wife today. Mm-hmm. And we went on a blind date, uh, New Year's Eve. And uh, we just never looked back after that. Uh, I knew she was the one. And how did I know she was the one, Rick, is probably what you're going to ask next. <laughs> I uh, I love it when you anticipate. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> makes my job easier. That's right. <laughs> How did I know? Uh, I asked her, you know, what were her aspirations? Uh, what did, uh, what has she been learning from God here lately? I'd asked one other girl that before. I never got a response. Mm. And as beautiful as that girl was and everybody thought she was godly, I realized that she didn't have a quiet time. She didn't have moment-to-moment intimacy with, with Almighty God. And 
But when I asked Allie, who is my wife now, when we were dating, I, I said, you know, what has God been teaching you? And, and her response was, well, yesterday I took a long walk and was talking to him. And, uh, or she would say, you know, the other day I was driving out by the wheat fields and I was watching the wheat grow. And I thought, you know, this is just a season where I got to wait on a husband. And, and she spoke in ways that let me know that she had moment-to-moment encounters with God. Wow. And she needed that to put up with me for nine years. Yeah. You know, and I'm serious. It's, it's, uh, it's her walk with God that challenges me to this day to be a more godly man. When I get up in the mornings and I see her spending time in her journey, just the other day I was talking to her in her quiet time. She said, can you leave? <laughs> you know, it's so, and, and I appreciate that, yeah. you know, because even that is, that's her and her father's time, not, mm-hmm. not mine. And, uh, I know I said more than what you asked, but oh, that, that's, that's how we met and, and, uh, her prayer life's how we stay together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, you know what you just described is something that we, um, in marriage counseling, my wife and I do marriage counseling, and somebody's picking up the trash. I don't know if that's picking up on this microphone, but I can hear it. Um, you take two people who are separate, and you need some more water. Um, and I feel like the question I ask to individuals who are struggling in their marriages, what you're doing promoting separation or promoting oneness? Because you take two people, and if they don't experience oneness with God, there is no way they're going to experience oneness with each other. And that's what you just described, is that your wife seeks that oneness and encourages it for you so that you too can become one. And it becomes this triangle. You have two people working towards God to create oneness. Sure. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Yep. So I love that story. Yeah. Were you going to say something? No. <laughs> I wasn't going to try to guess what you were going to ask this time. <laughs> well, let's talk about your kids. Yeah. So, uh, uh, man, life's full with them. So my oldest is Ava. She's uh, seven years old. And uh, our firstborn, and obviously, uh, but uh, she's a world of fun. You know, she loves her cat, and uh, wow. I don't particularly like animals. <laughs> but uh, you know, kids kind of run things. So yeah. now I have a house cat. Have a house cat. And, uh, Congratulations! And I never had a house cat before I moved, but I do now. Yeah. Now that I live here, because I'm afraid the cat will run off and my daughter will be crushed. So <laughs> I now have an inside cat. Um, but she's a beautiful young girl. Uh, she's full of life. Uh, she told me the other day, she said, uh, she said, Dad, I, I laid in bed and I cried the other day because I want God to know that I love him. Wow. And so, you know, out of the mouth of babe speak. Yeah. Uh, and so, and God will speak through them. And so, you know, it's just been, it's been a tender time with her. My uh, second son is Levi. And, or my first son is Levi. I'm sorry. My second child child. And, uh, he's a, he's a handful. He likes to punch me in the shoulders and wrestle. (laughs) Uh, his favorite thing to do is wrestle. And, uh, 
you know, and he's playing basketball right now, so he's learning that. And he's how old? He's uh, he's six. Six. Yeah. So he just got him a basketball goal for Christmas. Nice. And then my youngest is uh, two and a half years old. Uh, we just did a closed adoption on him in October of 2020. So wow. we're. Where 2020 was probably the most unforgettable year for a lot of folks for bad reasons. For me, it was unforgettable for good reason. Yeah. And, uh, and so I got a, I got a baby boy and his name's Ezra Grace. And, uh, he's a ball of joy. He's in everything, Rick. Two and a half. Yeah. Yeah, He's in absolutely everything. everything. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. I, I, I think it's important that people who trust their sons and i'm i'm at this point i'm pretty convinced that the hope center is mostly for guys well no sir so um so we have women's centers and i apologize if i gave that insinuation uh I speak because I'm I'm working directly with the guys but we have women's centers as well spread out across america we actually have one close to Oklahoma City. It's Purcell. Okay. And then we have a women's center in Claremore, one in Holiday, where I pastor, mm-hmm. uh, one in Paris, Tennessee, McEwen, Tennessee, Danville, Virginia, Helena, Montana. Wow. And so we have several women's centers spread out across the United States. Okay. Then yeah. I'm going to finish my thought. Yeah. I think it's really important for people who want to trust their children who are in trouble are making poor decisions to a man who loves his family yeah. to a man who loves God and loves his family so they can trust you mm-hmm. and it, it was my first impression I haven't told you this but my first impression is that here's a guy we can trust here's a guy I can trust simply by um, your demeanor by your ability to listen how important is it for a counselor to listen? Um, so you describing your family is hugely important, I think, to listeners who think, can this guy help my kid? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I often think about any time I get frustrated with somebody or uh, disappointed in the hopes, and I often think about, you know, what would I do if this was my son? Right. I mean, really, Rick, that, that's my thought. Even when I'm training other recovery coordinators that are my colleagues and we're in the trenches together, I always tell them, you know, when you feel burned out, when you feel like you lost the why behind the what, here's your why. What if it was your son or daughter? What if, what if it was your son or daughter that struggled? And as hard as they are to get along with, as frustrating as they are, sometimes people say things that are just mean. You know, when you're wounded, hurt people, hurt people. And uh, people who are being counseled are hurt. And uh, a lot of times they're looking for a place to vent and uh, something, some outlet that they're not sure how to deal with emotions, um, hurts in their pain, uh, pain of their past. And so for me, it's always been, well, I should treat everybody as if they're my own blood. And I think that's the way our father in heaven looks at everybody. Yeah, he, yeah. he so loved the world. Uh, he's patient with us, not wishing any to perish, 
and so if he loved the world that way, we should love each other that way. And I don't mean to get off on a tangent, but the, the major smokescreen, it seems like these days, is social media or uh, some sort of platform like that. And we would, we would say things behind those smokescreens that we would never say in front of people. That's right. And the thing that, that troubles me the most about our society and even just today as Christians is we've lost the ability to have empathy and sympathize with people and love people where they are. And I think if Jesus came back today, he wouldn't be so concerned about the things that we find as a priority. He'd be concerned about how we loved one another and really, really having a selfless attitude and more of focused on others and what is their, what is in their best interest. And you know, that's how good parents treat their kids. And we love without compromise. And, uh, and it's, it's the way that I want to be that way with everybody. It's awesome. Well, John 14. And I, I struggle with, I'm going to, I'm going to quote it like it's written. Um, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. I think if is the most mistranslated word in scripture. I think the word ought to be since you love me, sure. yeah. you will keep my commandments. And the commandments he's talking about are not the 10. Yeah. He's talking about the two yeah. to love each other with all your might, all your strength and all your mind yeah. or something like that. I'm misquoting it, but no, you got to love yeah. God and love others, love God and yeah. love others. Yeah. Those are the two commandments. And you're absolutely right. He's not concerned. Um, with us being right, yeah. he's concerned with, do you love each other? Yeah. So, yeah. sorry for my fingers being out. I would point. It's okay. Yeah. So, yeah, gosh. Once again, if the church could learn to focus on that, yeah, as opposed to, to programs, and I realize that programs are used to bring people in. I don't want to sure. get started on, on uh, things that are not as important as what we're doing for these guys who are in trouble. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, remember I'm a pastor. So I know. I know. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm treading. <laughs> I got to tread lightly. Uh, but yeah, I, I think keeping things authentic is insincere is the most important thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we got about 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, one of my go-to questions, because I can't think of anything else, so I'm just going to go to one of my go-to questions, is what do you want to be remembered for? Talking about legacy, huh? Yeah. Footprints. Um, you know, I, I've thought about this. You know, it's one of those, those scenes where you're in the coffin and your kids and family are all around you. Or they're at Thanksgiving and it's the first year you're not there because you're in heaven. What are they going to say? Uh, it's, it's, it's legacy. And my hope and my prayer is that they will say this. Now there was a man whom truly, truly devoted to Jesus Christ and his mission. If I could leave my kids, if I could leave any, anybody with anything, it's that question. 
that you would have to answer for your own life is are you, see, many people say I'd die for Christ or I would die for my kids, but will you live for them? I think that's the big question is it's not what, what will you sacrifice in the end? It's what will you live for today? Yep. And I want people to remember that every day, if it's my kids, every day dad woke up and his agenda and his mission was that he might reach some. His agenda and his mission was that he charged the gates of hell, even though it was just a water pistol in his hand. Yeah. He lived with this mission and agenda, just one more, Lord. And if, if a man doesn't live for that, he won't die for it. And I think that's what I want to be remembered as. I think that's the only thing that will matter in eternity. The only thing that will matter is our relationship with God and what we did for him, intimacy with him, and our relationship with the people around us. There's two things, your vertical and your horizontal relationships. And, and I think that's what I want to be remembered as. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, I want to go back a little bit because you, may, you caused me to think of a question that I had a few minutes ago because you used the words, I, I made bad mistakes and that you ended up in incarcerated because of that. I often wonder if those were not the right mistakes that you needed to make to get you to where God could say, okay, I'm taking you, I'm taking you. Uh, All of these things I allowed to get you here. Um, We talk about failure. I don't think I believe in failure. I think I believe in opportunities. Yeah to trust God and our mistakes are things God has allowed. I don't know. I, I would never say he caused them because I don't, I don't know that he did, but I think he allowed them Sure, because we needed an opportunity to be somewhere where he could meet us. Sure. So I'll comment on that. Okay. Um, I think it was J.I. Packer says that we all argue about God's sovereignty on our feet, but on our knees, we all agree that he's sovereign. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you wouldn't pray to God in moments of desperation unless you believed he could change something. And uh, I, I was, you know, listening to your question there, and I was thinking, yeah, while he may not cause it, he did allow it. You're talking about Genesis 50. Uh, in Genesis 50, there was uh, a younger a brother of 12 brothers named Joseph. Yes. Who was sold into slavery. He was, they actually intended to kill him, but sold him into slavery and, and really just mistreated him. And, um, it wasn't until years later in God's sovereign hand to take him from the, the rat infested dungeons to making him the second most powerful man in the world. And because of his position and power and a famine in the land, his 11 other brothers were made to come before him just to eat. Yeah. And I love that story. I do too. I love, it. Uh, I love that story because of what it says about God and he's sovereign and uh, he's able and willing and desiring to take the things that uh, the evil intents of men and do something audacious and awesome and wonderful with it. And it was in Genesis, I think, 50 or 49, where 
they're standing in front of him, not realizing that it's him. And right. He, he has this big reveal party. Hey, it's me, guys. <laughs> and it's like this family reunion that he's the only one enjoying. And, right. You know, and he could have crushed them. He could have killed yeah, them. Sure. He could have had their head on the chopping block. But he didn't. It goes back to he loved them in spite of them. And um, he loved them with a love they didn't quite understand. And uh, he loved them unconditionally. It's not something they merited or earned. Right. It was because he knew God. And he said these words to him. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yep. God can turn it for good. I think Paul echoes the same words in Romans 8. He says, all things work out for the good of those who love God. If God is not sovereign, then he cannot do that. And so it's the sovereignty of God that, that pushes me to trust him in those things. And you're right, Rick. They were mistakes from a human's perspective. Right. But from God's perspective, they were mistakes that he was able and desiring to turn for good. And I would not be who I am today or where I'm at today had it not been for the trials and the tribulations and the dark, dark seasons in my life to, to get to where I am today. I think it's an amazing thing that God uses contrasts. Um, you wouldn't be experiencing the light that you're in now if you hadn't spent some time in darkness. Sure. Um, I wouldn't understand truth had I not been such a good liar at one point. That's right. <laughs> I wouldn't have the appreciation I have for the truth had I not told so many lies as a kid. Yeah. Um, I love the contrast. I love, and your story about Joseph is one of my favorite Bible stories because he spent three years in prison. Yeah. And I think in the first year he interpreted the dreams for the, for the cook and the cupbearer. Uh, that's correct. And he was thinking, wow, this is my ticket out of here. If I can interpret these dreams. And he spent two more years yeah. there yeah. thinking, okay, God, I did that. What? But God's timing is another thing that frustrates the heck out yeah, of us. I would agree. totally. <laughs> But I, your story is, I, I love the, I noticed this in a counseling session, how you use stories with your guys. Yeah. And I love the story about uh, Alexander the Great burning the ships. Yeah. That was, yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. And there's several applications to burning ships that, that certainly apply to my life um, because I hang on to things from my past. And, uh, so, well, gosh, Jesus was the ultimate storyteller, wasn't yep, he? He was. Uh, or the sticky statement deliverer. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, he really was. He used stories to, to illustrate to his audience. And I, I think stories are something that we love and, and can really resonate with. Um, but, yeah. Okay. We're about, this is about finished. Um, once again, Give us your website where people can donate. Yeah. Tell us how people can contact you if they want to volunteer. Yeah. So it's, it's hopecm.com. I'll say that one more time. It's hopecm.com. And, uh, you can, you can call to volunteer at the local hope center in OKC at 940-631-2325. Again, that's 940-631-2325. And, and Rick, if I might add, 
um, just our, our greatest need at Hope Center, organizationally, the greatest thing. It's not money. Listen, we appreciate contributions. Go ahead and give. I, w- I, w- I tell you, 2020 has been rough. Mm-hmm. But our, our greatest need is to be able to manufacture leaders. Everything rides and dies on leadership. And uh, the demand for recovery is, is just worldwide. It's, uh, we could grow exponentially. Money is not the lid. Uh, church partnerships is not the lid. Um, opportunity, uh, drug addicts, and filling in beds is not the lid. The lid is leaders to, to go out into the fields and to work the fields. Jesus said, he said, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right. So our greatest need is people to go into the mission field and to be leaders and to do exactly what Jesus did to make disciples. So I would just say more important than anything is producing leaders. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for taking your time out and coming and talking to us. Thank you, Rick. This is Inside the Man Box. I'm Rick Fry. Thanks for listening.